Hello and welcome to another episode of the CBD Deep Dive sponsored by Six Degrees Wellness. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Johnny Lasano. I've been in the cannabis space since about 2015, conducting cannabis and performance research. I received my PhD in 2019 from the University of Northern Colorado. I just want to thank you all for listening today. In this episode, I'll first be discussing how cannabinoids, specifically THC and CBD, are metabolized within your body and how they're excreted after they're metabolized. And then I'll be revisiting the topic of can consuming full-spectrum hemp-derived CBD products cause you to test positive for THC? So on that note, sit back and enjoy the ride as we dive on in. mention in this episode i'll be discussing how our body breaks down cannabinoids like thc and cbd and how those are excreted i've already covered in a previous episode where i discuss how and why the cannabis sativa plant actually produces these cannabinoids um, and some theories about why these plants might be producing these cannabinoids and kind of that symbiotic relationship between the humans and the plants but If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back after you listen to this episode and give that a listen. I think it's got some really interesting information on it that you may or may not already know. But what I'm going to do before I dive into this week's content is give you a brief reminder of where these cannabinoids we know and love actually come from within the cannabis plant. So cannabinoids like THC and CBD are produced within unique organelles of the cannabis plant called trichomes. It's in these trichomes that the building blocks of cannabinoids go through a series of reactions to eventually be converted into their precursor acidic forms. So naturally in the plant, THC is produced as THCA, the acidic form of THC. CBD is produced as CBDA. These cannabinoids have limited active effects until they are decarboxylated. So we're we're removing that carboxyl group and they're no longer in their acidic form. But regardless of how these cannabinoids are consumed, they're eventually going to enter your circulation, your bloodstream, and they're going to have the ability to produce their active effects in various tissues throughout the body through their interaction with various cannabinoid receptors, channels, proteins. I've talked a little bit of that previously, like the CB1 and the CB2 receptors. However, these effects, they don't last forever. You don't take THC and feel the effects for a lifetime. That's just it's not how it works. But the reason for that, those dissipating effects, is because our body naturally breaks these compounds down. They're not natural to our body, so our body just kind of naturally processes them, and it takes a little bit of time. So that's telling us that there's something or some sort of system within our body that's breaking down these cannabinoids and stopping their active effects And then there's also a system helping us excrete them from the body. So that begs the question of how does the body break down cannabinoids like THC and CBD? And how are those compounds broken down and then excreted from the body? And that's going to be the bulk of this first kind of content that I'm going to be diving into right now. So due to their chemical properties, cannabinoids can often be difficult to detect in bodily fluids like blood, saliva, urine, so on and so forth. These cannabinoids actually have a kind of innate stickiness to them that causes them to interact with glass, plastic, 
whatever it is, the surface of the vessels that they're being collected in. So there's some issues that can arise with this stickiness. Not only can that kind of distort the values of THC and THC's metabolites within the sample, helping us kind of determine some very valuable correlations as far as the research world is concerned, but it could also potentially skew drug testing. So, you know, maybe you're one of the lucky ones where you went in and got drug tested, you're a user and you didn't test positive. Well, it might've been just because that THC was naturally reacting with that collection vessel that they collected the sample in, whether it was urine, blood, saliva, whatever it was, and that skewed the results or reduced that THC concentration enough to where it wasn't detected so it didn't cause a positive test. And this effect is only recently, within the past couple of years, kind of be starting to become common knowledge. So the question is, how do we remedy this problem? Well, due to advances in research and technology within the past few years, we now know that the collection and storage of samples being assessed for cannabinoids, especially if you're going to be doing mass spec on blood samples for a research project, should be done using amber silicate glassware. This reduces that stickiness of that THC and those THC metabolites and helps get that true value of cannabinoid concentration within that sample. So now that we know how to kind of properly extract, store, and prep some of these samples for analysis, we can kind of start to better understand how these cannabinoids are broken down within the body because we're going to be getting more accurate readings in the samples that we are collecting. Now when we're talking about cannabinoid breakdown, the liver is going to be the primary site of this metabolism. So when I talk about metabolism and breakdown, I kind of use them interchangeably, but Metabolism is your body's process of breaking down compounds, components, whatever. So like if you eat an apple, you're going to break down the compounds, the sugars, the starches within that apple, and then your body is going to handle it accordingly. Like the sugars, it's going to send it to your tissues, or if you have too much sugar circulating, it's going to be uh, going into fat storage through various me metabolic pathways through breakdown and whatnot. So I kind of use those two interchangeably. Um, so just kind of be aware of that as going forward in this episode. While the liver is the primary site, about 95% of cannabinoid metabolism as we know it right now is going to be occurring in the liver. The kidney can also contribute to cannabinoid metabolism and is going to be slight site where cannabinoid metabolism is going to be occurring. But bouncing back to the liver, the liver really is an amazing organ. Not only does it play a critical role in our body's ability to break down drugs, compounds, toxins, anything like that that is in the circulation, but it also plays a huge part in our digestion, acts as an energy reserve, and that's just naming a couple of things. It really is an incredible organ. So when we're going forward today, the liver is going to be our primary emphasis of focus. The liver contains countless proteins known as enzymes. Enzymes are proteins that help facilitate either the creation or the breakdown of specific compounds within living organisms. And in the primary context of today, what we're going to be referring these enzymes to be doing is breaking down, specifically breaking down cannabinoids. So for example, in the cannabis sativa L plant, the enzyme CBD synthase, it creates the cannabinoid CBDA from another cannabinoid CBGA, another precursor cannabinoid. Or on the other kind of end of the spectrums, the breakdown part of things, when we're talking about metabolism in humans, 
the enzyme hexokinase converts glucose to glucose 6-phosphate in order to prep that glucose for breakdown into energy in the form of ATP and a whole bunch of other metabolic pathways that I had memorized when I was doing my PhD, but has since, you know, faded a little bit. I'm sure if I saw the pathways, I would, you know, remember them just like that, like the snap of a finger, but off the top of my head, there's, trust me, there's a lot of different steps there. But similar to how we have all these enzymes that help with metabolism and synthesis of various compounds within the body, there's also an entire superfamily of enzymes within the liver known as the cytochrome P450 family that has dozens if not hundreds of different enzymes that help break down cannabinoids. Starting with THC, when THC enters the liver, it's typically in its primary active form known as delta-9 THC. It's then enzymes like CYP2C9, CYP2C19, CYP2D6. Sounds like I'm listing off Star Wars droids and whatnot, but those are names of those enzymes that are helping break down THC. And there's not just those three, there's more and more and more. And they break down THC into its primary and secondary metabolites. THC's primary metabolite, so the first thing it's going to be broken down into from delta-9 THC is 11-hydroxy-delta-9 THC, which is commonly more kind of known as 11-hydroxy-THC or 11-OH-THC. In this form, 11-hydroxy-THC is actually still active. It can still produce some of those intoxicating effects that THC has, but it's not as active as THC. 11-hydroxy-THC can still produce those active effects, but it doesn't really last long within the body. It's not necessarily leaving the liver or anything like that. There might be some 11-OH-THC in some of your other tissues if they do have some of those cytochrome P450 superfamily enzymes, but in the terms of, you know, 99% of the time, there's always that exception in the rule, but 99% of the time, 11-hydroxy-THC is going to be mainly staying within the liver after it's broken down from delta-9-THC. So with that, that 11-OH-THC is either passed out of the liver after it's broken down from delta-9-THC and put into the bloodstream so it can be excreted or is very rapidly broken down into the secondary metabolite of THC, which is 11-NOR-9-carboxy-THC, or THC-COOH for short. In this form, THC-COOH, it's no longer active. It's not going to be producing those intoxicating effects like THC or 11-OH-THC. And then, after it's converted to THC-COOH, it's either passed into the bloodstream, like 11-OH-THC, or it is further broken down into another compound known as glucuronide. Now, switching gears from THC to CBD, CBD, on the other hand, while still broken down in the liver by enzymes of the same cytochrome P450 superfamily, it's not the same breakdown pathway as compared to THC. It doesn't have kind of this overlap of enzymes that are similar to THC. Because when you're thinking of enzymes, they are specific to the compound that they're going to be either creating or breaking down. It's kind of that lock and key method. So 
As we know, as I've discussed about previously in other episodes, CBD and THC do have uniquely different chemistries. While the chemical structure looks fairly simple when it's in its 2D form on paper, the 3D structure of CBD and THC is uniquely different. That's why we have these differing active effects between CBD and THC, why CBD is not viewed as intoxicating and THC is. So that's why there's really not a lot of overlap in terms of the enzymes that are going to be breaking down both THC and CBD. So bouncing back to CBD, when it's first taken up by the liver, it's metabolized by a variety of enzymes. Again, I'm going to list off some more Star Wars droids here. So if you're a fan of The Mandalorian or, you know, Dave Filoni, you know, if you're if you're listening right now, here's some droid names for you. CYP1A1, CYP1A2, CYP2C9, so on, so forth, CYP2C19. Uh, sorry, my brain just kind of had a little mini aneurysm right there listing off all those numbers and letters. But it's worth noting that this is by no means an exhaustive list of the enzymes that break down either THC or CBD. Like I said, there's there's dozens. I feel just like we discover new cannabinoid every other week. We are constantly discovering more and more enzymes that are responsible for metabolism of these cannabinoids within the body, within the liver. And like I said, due to the differences in the three-dimensional structure of THC and CBD, there's very little overlap between the enzymes that break down both of these cannabinoids. But like I said, 99 times out of 100, it's going to work this way. But then there's always an exception to the rule. I had a professor in my undergrad, master's, and PhD, all at UNC, one of the greatest professors I've ever had. His name is Dr. Pat Burns, and he's a wily guy from West Virginia, and he, you know, he kind of ingrained this into my head, you know, when you're learning physiology, it's going to work this way 99 times out of 100 that I'm teaching it to you, but there's always that exception to the rule. And in the case of what we're talking about today, that one exception to the rule is CYP3A4 and has actually been observed to break down both THC and CBD. So it's that exception to the rule, like I said. But I digress. Getting back to CBD metabolism. CBD is first broken down into the metabolite 7-hydroxycannabidiol, often referred to as 7-hydroxy-CBD or 7-OH-CBD. It's primary facilitated at least this breakdown from CBD to 7-OH-CBD by the enzyme CYP2C19. And similar to 11-hydroxy-THC, the 7-hydroxy-CBD is seen to still produce some active effects. But similar, again, to THC and 11-OH-THC, it's either from this point excreted from the liver for final elimination or is quickly converted to CBD-COH. So while it still may have the potential to produce active effects, it doesn't really get the chance to do that very often because it is very quickly broken down. It's almost kind of referred to as a brief intermediary between CBD and the next compound that I'm going to talk about in this chain of metabolism, which is CBD-COOH. This metabolite is no longer active, similar to the metabolite, the secondary metabolite of THC, and is then transferred to the bloodstream to be excreted. Now, the majority of this cannabinoid breakdown process occurs within the first 12 to 24 hours after that initial use. It can vary depending on the method of use. So if you're inhaling versus ingesting, how frequent you're using, 
these are all things that kind of are very variable and kind of up for interpretation. It's not set in stone. But depending on some of these factors, it can take longer than 12 to 24 hours. But for the majority of what we're talking about, it's going to be about within 12 to 24 hours that this breakdown process is going to start to occur and be underway. Now, this is where the fun occurs. We're going to start talking about cannabinoid excretion. So how are we excreting it from the body? Are we sweating it out? Are we breathing it out? You know, how are we getting it out of our body? We're putting it in, but how is it getting out and how is it getting deposited? Well, we're going to have to start doing some toilet talk, unfortunately, because the main ways that cannabinoids are excreted from the body are through the urine and the feces. So approximately two-thirds of the cannabinoids that we consume are excreted within our fecal matter, and then the primary metabolites of CBD and THC that are detected within the feces are 11-hydroxy-THC, so that first breakdown product of THC, and then that 7-hydroxy-CBD, again, that first breakdown product of CBD. The remaining cannabinoids are primarily excreted within the urine, with the primary metabolites being THC-COH and CBD-COH. By the time it's excreted, there's actually very little unmetabolized THC and CBD remaining in these samples. So it's very unlikely that if you are testing a fecal sample that you're going to detect THC or CBD. And similarly to a urine sample, it's very unlikely that you are going to detect the active primary form of CBD or THC. Which leads me to the next point of discussion in this episode, which is can consuming hemp-derived CBD allow you, or cause you, I guess would be a better way to say it, to test positive for THC on a drug test. I know this is a primary concern for a lot of individuals and may actually be a reason that a lot of people are hesitant to consume or at least try CBD products because the state of the world right now, you know, if you have a job, you're you're a very lucky individual. You want to hold on to that job. That's your livelihood, your your family, your income, everything like that. We don't want to risk it, especially if you're in a state or working for a company that has a kind of a negative opinion towards cannabis use, it is still technically cannabis use, at least non-CBD related cannabis use is still federally illegal. That might be changing here soon, but that it, it is a big question and I am asked that question quite frequently and I have talked about this previously saying that you know, it is probably highly unlikely for this to happen. But that being said, we are in the world of science and science is constantly evolving. We're constantly learning more. There's more research coming out. And so I'm going to update on what I've previously discussed. Now, a couple years ago, there was some research showing evidence that CBD could potentially be directly converted to THC. And this was in a model using stomach acid and cell cultures. It was not within the body. And we quickly learned that while we might be seeing this in a very controlled setting, we are not observing this in humans, whether it's through inhalation or ingestion. Within the body, CBD is not going to be directly converted to THC. So we don't really have to worry about those effects. You don't have to worry about having a positive drug test for THC if you're consuming a true CBD isolate that is verified with a third-party analysis, certificate of analysis, 
we don't necessarily have to worry about that. But what if we're consuming full-spectrum CBD products that are hemp-derived, that are falling within the federal regulations of less than 0.3% THC? Is it possible for that to cause you to test positive for THC? Because the product you are consuming, while it varies a very minimal amount, does have a little bit of THC in it. Is it possible to test positive for THC? Well, lucky for us, not just one, but two research articles came out within the past month providing valuable insight to this very question. They actually came out within just a couple days of each other, which was very kind of interesting to see, and they're both reporting very similar results. So let's dive into this first study that I'm going to be discussing. So the first study is titled Determination of Cannabinoids in Urine, Oral Fluid, and Hair Samples After Repeated Intake of CBD-Rich Cannabis Through Smoking. This was a case study. It was just one single male participant. It was performed in Italy. For those of you who might not know what we typically refer to as hemp here within the U.S., it's actually commonly referred to as light cannabis or CBD-rich cannabis in other countries, especially Europe and kind of those other countries abroad. So if you hear either of those terms, they're most likely referring to hemp or vice versa. If you're outside the U.S. and you're listening right now, if we're saying hemp, that means like cannabis or CBD-rich cannabis, whatever kind of is the common term within the region you live. Now, in this first study, they had the participant who was a previous non-user of any cannabis-based product smoke one hemp cigarette per day that contained 250 milligrams of raw hemp flour. And that hemp flour contained... 6% CBD and 0.2% THC, which would qualify as hemp both in the U.S. and most of Europe. I know there's some differences in regulatory status and classification depending on the country that you're in, but this equated to the participant receiving roughly 15 milligrams of CBD and 0.5 milligrams of THC per day. Prior to his first use, they collected baseline urine, saliva, hair samples, and each of those tested negative for THC. So there was no indication that there was any THC within the system whatsoever, which is good. I'd be a little concerned if he tests positive for THC, considering as a previous non-user of any cannabis-based products. That'd be a very interesting thing. Hey, maybe we'll get to the point someday where we can start synthesizing our own cannabinoids within our body. Who knows? But for now, we'll focus on this study. His urine was then taken every day for 26 days while the participant consumed the same hemp cigarette each of those 26 days. So he was consuming that 250 milligrams of raw hemp flour containing 6% CBD and 0.2% THC. And starting after his first use, the metabolite THC-COH, which we discussed previously, which is the secondary metabolite of THC, was detected, but it was unable to accurately be quantified within the participant's urine. So basically what that means is that since it was detected but unable to be quantified, it was it's what we call below the limit of detection. And so what that indicates is that there was some THC present, but there's not enough for us to accurately quantify it, and thus that would not cause a positive drug test. And that's only after just using a raw hemp flour cigarette that contains 6% CBD and 0.2% THC, something that is easily available within the U.S., across Europe. And the trend of this detected but not quantifiable for the metabolite THC-COH continued for each day for the first week until we get to day eight. And at day eight, 
this is where, where the researchers were not only able to detect THC-CoH, but it was actually quantified. And this was a concentration of 13 nanograms per milliliter. Typically, and this can vary from state to state and country to country, but the concentration of THC, or when I'm talking about this, they're testing for THC-CoH, needed for a positive THC drug test with urine is 15 nanograms per milliliter. So him being at a concentration of 13 nanograms per milliliter on this first day that he tested positive, so day eight of the study, it would still be below that threshold. However, THC was able to be quantified an additional three times on day 10, 14, and 15, the highest concentration of each of those three days being 23 nanograms per milliliter, which would be over that threshold of 15 nanograms per milliliter, which could lead to this individual possibly having a positive urine drug test for THC, despite the fact that they're using a cannabis product that would be classified as hemp or light cannabis that only contained 0.2% THC. And it was quantified four out of the 26 days. So it's not every single day, but that being said, it's very interesting to see that even though this individual was using a hemp-derived cannabis flower cigarette once a day for this period of this study, they did test positive for THC-COOH, despite it being in a very minuscule concentration of 0.2%. And this first time that it was detected and quantified being just over a week after regular use. In fact, in 18 of the remaining 22 days of the study, THC-COOH was detected in some amount within the sample, starting as soon as day one after his first use. So it does appear that both acute and regular use of full-spectrum hemp product containing less than that 0.3% THC can not only have THC be detected within our urine, our body, but also potentially result in a positive drug test that exceeds the limit of 15 nanograms per milliliter of THC. So this kind of brings up the question of how can we differentiate between THC from hemp and THC from marijuana? Because after all, they are the exact same compound. Hemp is the same plant as marijuana, cannabis, whatever you want to call it. It's just the way we designate these differences between marijuana and hemp is the concentration of THC. Marijuana, greater than 0.3% THC. Hemp, less than 0.3% THC. So since this molecule is the exact same, how do we differentiate hemp use from marijuana use? Well, one, we could test for both THC and CBD and use the ratio of THC to CBD to determine differences between hemp and marijuana use. While this sounds like a great idea, it's still flawed where this could prompt marijuana users to use excessive amounts of CBD to cover up their use of marijuana products if they are in a state or a country that does not allow the use of marijuana but does permit the use of hemp because this would effectively cover up their marijuana use because they're basically spiking that ratio with CBD even though they are consuming THC-based marijuana products. Number two, and this might just be the easiest one, is stop testing for cannabinoids or stop testing for marijuana use. While this might be the easiest and best option, at this point in time, it's highly unlikely as marijuana use is still federally illegal. That might be changing soon, but for the time being, it's really not feasible despite more and more states legalizing for recreational use. Third option, and perhaps the best and most reliable option for this testing is through hair analysis. So we 
completely ditch the urine and the fecal matter analysis, saliva, everything like that, and instead to differentiate between marijuana and hemp use if you do test positive for THC is to use a hair sample instead. So it's previously been observed that THC can be detected in hair follicle samples of those using marijuana. However, like I talked about at the start of this study, they were also taking hair samples from this case study throughout that 28-day period. And throughout that 28-day period, despite the hair samples that they were taking, there was no THC detected at any point, doesn't matter what metabolite it was, in any hair follicle at any point during this study, thus suggesting that potentially hair sample following a positive urine test for THC could help differentiate between hemp and marijuana use because we all know what what kind of devastation a false positive could do in someone's life if they're just recreationally using hemp-based CBD products. Now, it is worth noting that there are some limitations to the study. This was a case study. It only observed a single male participant. This doesn't represent all individuals, and these effects may vary based on gender, age, body composition, activity status. We go on and on and on. There's a lot of variables we could consider that could potentially change these effects. Also, it's worth noting that the individual was consuming hemp through inhalation, so he was consuming a hemp-based cannabis flower cigarette. And these effects may also be different depending on the method of use. It's also worth noting that the participant in this study did not report any feelings of intoxication throughout the duration of the study. So that is encouraging. So even though he was using a product, it was hemp-derived, 0.2% THC in it, he didn't feel any feelings of intoxication throughout the duration of this study. So it doesn't appear that the smoking of this hemp-based cigarette was getting him high. So that being said, there's still some more research we need to do on clarifying, you know, method of use, detection, sample type, you know, the whole the whole kind of thing. You know, I feel like I'm a broken record whenever I say it, but we need more research because at this point we really do. Now transferring to that second study. This study was called urinary tetrahydrocannabinol after four weeks of a full-spectrum high cannabidiol treatment in an open-label clinical trial. And this was done in the U.S. It was published in the Journal of JAMA Psychiatry, and this was not a case study. They actually observed 14 participants over a four-week period who were using hemp-derived CBD oil containing 1% CBD and 0.2% THC. So again, it would be classified as hemp-derived CBD or a hemp-derived CBD product. And these individuals were asked to take a one milliliter oral dose three times a day with each dose containing about 10 milligrams of CBD and about 0.2 milligrams of THC. So that would equate, if they're taking it three times a day, to roughly 30 milligrams of CBD and anywhere from 0.7 to 0.6 milligrams of THC for four weeks. At the end of this four-week study period, researchers collected urine samples from the participants and analyze these samples for THC-COH. Remember, we said that THC-COH was the secondary metabolite of THC and is primarily excreted through the urine. So they're analyzing that properly. They know what they're doing. That's good. I've seen some studies where they're analyzing urine for 11-OH THC and it's like, well, you're really not going to see a lot because it's primarily excreted in the feces. Probably because they just don't want to play with poop, but that's just kind of my opinion on that. So they analyzed these urine samples for THC-COH, and in total, 9 out of the 14 participants 
had detectable amounts of THC-CoH in the urine, and seven of those 14 participants had THC-CoH that exceeded that threshold that we talked about previously of 15 nanograms per milliliter for a positive drug test. And it's also worth noting that these participants were asked to refrain from any other cannabis-based uh, product use during this study period. So hopefully that wasn't a confounding factor. Hopefully the subjects were compliant in the fact that they weren't consuming other cannabis-based products. The highest concentration of THC-COH observed in the urine was 71.50 nanograms per milliliter, which is far above that 15 nanograms per milliliter threshold which is needed for a positive drug test. Again, similar to the first study, these results do suggest that, unfortunately, it is possible to test positive for THC in the urine despite using a hemp product that contained only 0.2% THC, which is still under that upper limit of what's allowed within hemp within the U.S., which is 0.3%. But it is worth noting that in comparison to the first study, these individuals were actually consuming more THC per day at about, you know, 0.7 to 0.6 milligrams a day compared to the 0.5 milligrams a day that the case study participant was receiving through the cannabis cigarette, which could potentially explain why higher levels of THC were detected, or when I say THC, THC, OOH, were detected at the end of the four-week study period. Regardless, both of these studies were released within less than a week of each other and shows that it is possible to test positive for THC despite the THC in hemp being less than 0.3%. Yet again, like I said in the case study, in the second study that I talked about, none of the participants reported experiencing any intoxicating effects despite the fact that they were consuming more THC per day, about 0.7 milligrams, and they were actually consuming their CBD doses or their cannabis doses three times a day rather than just once a day. But no one experienced any intoxicating effects, which I think is really interesting and a really kind of neat finding to kind of promote. Kind of brings up what's the next step from here. Well, we're going to need to further develop better methods of distinguishing between hemp and marijuana use that is not solely reliant on just a urine test because as we're seeing with this data, you can test positive for THC in your urine even if you are using a CBD a hemp-derived CBD product that is within federal limits for its THC content. It's below that 0.3%. Potentially, maybe we start moving to hair samples, as we alluded to earlier. For now, if you are potentially worried about having a positive drug test if you're consuming a hemp-derived CBD product, I don't suggest just stopping your CBD use whatsoever because obviously you're using it for a reason. It's giving you some benefit. You feel like it's helping you in some capacity. I don't suggest stopping use. What I suggest doing is having an open and documented communication with your employer, making them aware of your use and showing them an accompanying certificate of analysis of the product, products you're using to show that the product is compliant with U.S. federal guidelines. It's not a marijuana product. Like, it, It's always better to kind of discuss that on the front end of things rather than ask for forgiveness later. I know there's that whole, you know, kind of saying of, you know, it's always easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Well, in this case, when your job's on the line, you know, maybe just kind of have that open conversation with your employer instead. And if you ever have any questions or they have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can always use me as a resource. I would love to 
help you or at, answer any of your questions whatsoever. Um, I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you got something positive out of it today. I hope you learned something. I hope you have some new information that you can go and talk with your friends with on the next video chat or whatnot. I, I hope you got something out of this episode today. Let me know if you found this week's content informative. Let me know if there's anything you want me to cover going forward. I have been getting some requests from some regular listeners, so I'm going to try and work and do my best to curate some episodes on some of the content that you're requesting because obviously this podcast is for you. I want to make sure you enjoy it. So if you have anything you want me to cover, reach out, let me know. My email is johnny, J-O-N-N-Y, at six degrees wellness, all spelled out, dot com. Again, johnny at six degrees wellness dot com. Send me an email, questions, comments, anything like that. Always love constructive criticism. And with that, I'm Dr. Johnny Lasano. I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. And this has been the CBD Deep Dive. provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only. The information provided in these episodes is not meant to diagnose, treat, or mitigate any disease and does not support the efficacy of products from Six Degrees Wellness.